hit me with this notification about recording. Welcome to another episode of the Sunday Puncher Podcast. Thank you for listening, for choosing us, all that stuff. But we got to get right into this. We got a big, big weekend ahead of us. And I got none other than Deuce Rollins, one of the best follows that you can have in all of boxing Twitter. We got him here on the podcast yet again. Deuce, how's it going? Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's going good, man. Um, you know, we got a, a couple of good um, fights this weekend. We got um, shit, man. Life is life is popping. What can I say? So actually, you know, hmm, eh, there's some bad shit going on too. But you know, Javante Davis returns to the ring this weekend on Showtime pay per view against Rolando Romero. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about Canelo announcing his next fight in just a bit. But we got to talk about... And I know we're a few days past, uh, but I think things have started to clear. We're past the point of that sort of instant reaction that everyone has. We can kind of reflect, I think, a bit more accurately on the return of David Benavides, who stopped David Lemieux last week, who's since been called a bitch by David Morrell. Deuce, let, let me just get your thoughts initially on... Um, Benavidez's performance. It, it was a, I believe it was a third round stoppage over David Lemieux. I mean, did you did you learn anything from this fight? Do you think that maybe Benavidez is improving? I mean, where do you sit on his performance? Um, yeah, Benavidez beat the fuck out of him. Um, so that was my general takeaway. Um, <laughs> no, if I if I actually was gonna say like something specific that I think I know more about than I did before the fight. It would be um, Benavidez sitting down on his punches has maybe even more power than we give him credit for because um, a lot of what he typically does is based on um, his, like, he's focused on throwing a lot of punches and throwing in combination, uh, which he still did in this fight, no doubt about it. But also he knew from literally the first round, just like they both said in the run-up, that um, it was going to be like toe-to-toe, duke it out. And so pretty much from the first punch he threw, Benavides was throwing, I feel like was sitting down as much as more. And he hurt Lemieux almost immediately. Also, um, secondarily, um, 168-pound David Benavides can punch harder than anybody who fought at 160 their entire career. So just a thought. Wait a second. Now, wait a second. What are you insinuating with that last comment? It, it seems oh, to me well, like I, it... I, I was actually... I mean, I legitimately, I, the thought did go, th- go through my mind that, like, people have always kind of downplayed the difference between Golovkin and other people in power uh, or saying that, like, Golovkin has power of, like, Kovalev or whatever it was what people were saying in, like, 2015 and shit. Um, but, like, the way that David Lemieux... And I know people will say he's older, but, like, really, he has not had tough fights. Look, like... He has not had wear and tear on him between those two fights. Um, and so, I mean, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the way that he reacted to those punches from Benavides was, um, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people predicted it or whatever or were really negative on the fight, and I was less so. And so I guess there'll be some of those people might just say, I told you so, which um fine if you choose to take that route. Um, there's not really anything I can say that would disagree with you. But um, at the same time, I I was surprised at the amount of um, 
damage Benavides was doing with individual punches as opposed to like just in his flurries. Yeah, because that's how that's kind of been the story of Benavides's career thus far. Is that I mean he's a strong guy, but there's a big difference between fighters who are strong and fighters who have one punch type of power. And Benavides has always been like that, where he he just looked like a guy who just is strong and he's big and he's physical. And you you I, I think the the best explanation is like what is his signature highlight? It's against what the the forty five punch combination on Rogelio Medina, where Medina like begrudgingly goes down at the end, I believe. And it's like yeah, but after he got hit with forty five punches, that, well, yeah, that's he, he hurts him. He, he hurts him to the body, and then David punt like so he's his hands are totally down protecting his ribs, and then David hits him with like literally six punches to the head, and then he goes down. <laughs> like, it, it was it was a bit more than that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I just meant like at the very end, he literally like. Doo, 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 doo. Um, oh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, so like, we are seeing a different David Benavides, and like, you got to remember that he's he's twenty five. Is it possible that the mythical manpower is maybe beginning to set in on David Benavides? It could also be that he's adjusting his style a little bit. Maybe he's getting a little more comfortable in his defense, which is allowing him to put a little more power on his punches and you know he doesn't really have to focus too much on getting out of range or or uh throwing with speed so that he doesn't get caught i mean because that was one of the things that i was thinking about before the fight is that okay lemieux i know can outbox david benavides lemieux's chances of winning the fight are actually very slim but what lemieux can do is he can catch david and we've seen david get put down in fights before so uh, i shouldn't say david i should say their last names because they're both named david but uh if he could land that home run punch, and I think I sent this to you, he like he's basically like one of those baseball players that you you throw him a fastball, they're gonna hit it 500 feet, and that's all they can do, and that's the way their swing is every single time. So you you know if you're a good pitcher, you mix it up, they're not gonna take you deep, but make one mistake, one fastball down the middle, the ball's gone. Okay, that's David Benavides. He comes in there, he's gonna throw the same way he does every time, and bad fighters or average fighters get knocked out by him, and the guys who've been relatively skilled have been able to get past him relatively easily and i figured one thing i've always felt about david benavides and i'm not i I, we actually i think we have a bad review this podcast has a bad review because somebody got mad that i wasn't sold on david benavides and uh shout out to that person hopefully they're still listening yeah yeah well lex always mentions the people who gave him bad reviews on the podcast but you know He's I, I I say all this to say he was responsible. He looks like he's evolving, and I'm pretty happy with the performance that we saw from David Benavides. But like, I mean, does that? I'm not drastically changing my perspective on oh, does David Benavides beat Canelo? Which I got a text from somebody that says, yeah, Canelo will never fight Benavides because he will stop him. And I was like, okay. All right. I mean, maybe, maybe, but you know, maybe you know, the the worst version of Canelo that was even worse than Bivol shows up against Benavides. Okay, maybe that happens, but I think average Canelo shows up. He probably beats David, or at a minimum, it's like a really competitive fight. But it's compelling, and the thing that you walk away with, which is most importantly, is I think you're crazy if you don't want to see Benavides fight Canelo at this point, or you don't want to see him fight Charlo. Caleb Plant or David Morrell. Um, so let, let you know going forward, what do you think is going to be the most likely move 
for Benavides? Uh, well, just like one more comment on uh, what, the, what if there's any takeaways from that fight. Um, I'd say like other than what I said earlier, I think the biggest takeaway from that fight was Benavides coming in in such good shape. Obviously, he came in at such a super low weight, like almost two pounds below the weight. But also just like his body. I mean, his body's never going to look great. But like if you look at some of the still shots of the um, fight and him throwing punches and stuff, like his upper body, particularly like his chest and and shoulders and arms, looks like way more strong than like typical David Benavidez body shape. And so he definitely like, if he continues to do that and stays at 168, I mean, I think that that makes him um, even more formidable, obviously, because uh, coming in either not in great shape or missing the way it was like everyone's big concern. So all these people can shut up about that now, hopefully. Um, as for what is most likely next, um, the fight I think is most likely that makes the most sense is Caleb Plant. But Caleb Plant has to fight first. So that's kind of a problem because he doesn't have the fight announced, even though we thought he was going to fight Anthony Jarrell sometime in the summer, which he still may. I mean, it's not, it's only, uh, we're still in May, so they could announce something. I mean, you know, PBC is kind of late with announcements anyways. Fox has been totally silent. So there may be a date in like July that's not really actually that late um, in the year for Benavidez to eventually fight the winner. But uh, we haven't heard about it yet. So that makes me a little um, questionable or that makes it a little questionable to me um, because I think that's the obvious fight plant. First of all, has already lost. So if there's going to be someone that they're going to match him with, match Benavidez with, um, it makes sense the person who already got the Canelo fight and um, yeah, all, that, you can do all, that. all that exposure. And also he's no, he no longer has the whatever title or the O to lose in that fight. And you can do the whole, like, well, Canelo stopped him in 11, and it was a relatively competitive fight. David Benavidez potentially smoking him in six. It's like, you can you can do that thing. You know, we don't do it here on this podcast, but, like, the way promotion works, fans start to talk themselves into thinking that that stuff matters as the fight gets closer, and you start to, you know, visualize all the different scenarios in which the way the fight could play out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, for almost every reason possible, that is the fight that makes the most sense. I mean, add to the fact that that is the fight that has been naturally building the longest too and has had been talked about the most and has the most like personal aspect to it because it's not going to be for a title, at least not a real title. So, so you don't think that there's going to be a title? There's going to have to be, well, yeah, I mean, I, I not mince my words here, you know. No, uh, good yeah, thing. Uh, our podcast is not big enough to get picked up by aggregators, so I don't really need to. Uh, necessarily... All right, you're listening to too many Ringer Network podcasts to be using these types of fr- phrases and words. Bro, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying I wouldn't. I might not write this in a tweet, but I'll say on a podcast. Fucking this fucking interim title, okay? But nobody really cares about the title, so there has to be an angle to sell the fight. And so for the plant fight, it has all of the different elements that you can promote it with. Um that are i mean yeah that would rank first out of those options basically samson's um, pr person is going to get my ass over this over what you uh We're trying to little, sell a uh you saying the interim oh, title don't work for, that, that 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 is meaningless well, but I, bro i'm not the one who's fucking making all these excuses for canelo not to fight 
people. I mean, what do you want me to do? Canelo, um, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking care. I'm busy. Um, yeah, I'm busy losing another weight classes, but I'm busy. Now I'm fighting guys from other weight classes below me. Yeah, I'm busy. That's not even what Canelo like, sounds like. Yeah, I know, but he sounds like a fucking weirdo. I don't know what, like, I would get chastised if I just did a straight up, like, fucking Mexican accent. I was just racist white guy, so I just gotta do some goofball accent instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although, oh, anyways, like, oh, no, I was just gonna say, like, yeah, I mean, I think Benavides would beat him, would beat Plant probably more convincingly. But anyways, uh, <laughs> at first I thought you were talking about Canelo. I was, and, and the face you made, I was like, wow, okay, so he really believes this. Oh, I dude, Benavides would would beat Canelo, hundred percent. That's why we'll never fight him, <laughs> bro. Anybody who anybody who can fucking throw at the volume and with the power that Benavides does and has the advantage with the jab, it's like, bro, that's bad news for Canelo. Bad matchup. He knows it. But anyways, um, yeah, the problem is, is you can't do the fight off of the loss for playing. I saw you first, arguing first, with somebody on the timeline about this. No, somebody was just saying like, oh, who cares? And it's like, well, first of all, I bet Plant cares. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 doubt Plant, I doubt Plant wants the last experience in the ring to be, I'm sad, before he goes into another, <laughs> the next biggest fight of his life. All Second right, so all, I, I, mean, I hate yeah. that people make fun of that. It's like, bro. The dude worked his entire life for that moment. Like, of course he's sad. Jamel no, Charles no, cried no, after mean, he got robbed by in the Tony Harrison fight. Like, come on. Yeah, no. I mean, most of it has to do with, like, you got to... The person you are outside of those moments then has to own the person who you are inside those moments. And everyone essentially is the same, or at least has similar sort of emotions in those moments. So it's just like... For, uh, so- the people on the internet apparently don't. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's the point. Is when it's not you, you get to make fun of people. <laughs> that's, like, that's like the number one rule of the internet is, is yes, certainly that could have been you, but it's not you. <laughs> what, what, what is what is the uh, saying about uh, Twitter? It's like every day there's a main character and you're all, the only goal is to never be that the main character on Twitter. It's like, yeah, dude, just don't be that guy. You know, and you, any, you can be anyone else. Still the guy who's getting the jokes on him. Oh, there's about to be a main character in Twitter coming very soon if uh, yeah. these vague tweets we're seeing wind up being true. If you don't know what we're talking about, I'll just tell you right now, apparently somebody has failed a drug test. We may never find out who it is. I don't know. There, We're, I, I, we're just reading between the lines here. But somebody, if, if it is true, then that we will have a main character for, what, 24 hours that people actually care about it? Before we move I mean, depending on, depending on who it is, depending on who it is, it might be slightly longer. But uh, yeah, 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 it might be sl- it might be significantly shorter too. Yeah, that's all true. Um, but yeah, I mean, so basically, if they do the plant draw fight and plant wins, assuming that's the fight I would do. Otherwise, I mean, but the morel fight, aren't, you you can do it. It doesn't really make sense to do it, but no. also like. I don't know. People do shit that doesn't make sense all the time. So. <laughs> well, I, I mean, with, with Morel, you just kind of look at it as like, is this guy going to be the future of this division? Because then you navigate them a little differently because you you could why, run the risk of Erickson Lubining him. Whereas like, I don't know, maybe Lubin doesn't, his career goes drastically different if Jamel doesn't knock him out. But Lubin was like 22, 23 at the time. And his arc was like, you know, going steady up like a normal prospect. And then they just launched him into this uh, 50-50 fight with Jermel where Jermel... Wasn't had... a 
Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, Jamel's not listening to this because he probably rolls up on me for for saying that. But the you know, Jamel hadn't proved that much, but he did have a level of experience at that point where it all makes sense in hindsight. It's like, oh yeah, Lubin was never winning this fight. And then obviously you look at what's happened to Lubin since that fight, and it's like, yeah, what a career it could have been. But I mean, I guess we could say that about a lot of guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think Lubin is like, in some ways a good example and a bad example because Lubin his career could have gone differently. It certainly could all like, and you could make this argument about almost anyone. If you match Lubin perfectly, Lubin, I mean, like if Lubin was whatever, like had, had the same things going for him as Canelo, where he could literally pick his opponents the whole way. Mm-hmm. Like you could easily navigate Lubin to like 40, and know, like, well, and, and world titles, you could easily do it. Is there no, any, no, you could easily do it. Like the, the, the pool of fighters who are kind of at that Lubin or above talent level, let's say before they ever fight for a world title, like that pool of fighters is pretty big. And I'm not trying to say this to undermine your point. I say that to say, I wonder who those guys are right now that like, we can't do it. Like, do you think you could realistically get Richardson Hitchens to 40, you know, outside of, uh, I guess like, I guess the number of fights is kind of misleading because, that depends on how often you're fighting or whatever. But do I think that I could get Richard's Nations to a world title and be a world champion for multiple years? Yes. You think so? Yeah, bro. Have you seen his division? Yeah, it has Subaru Matias. That's my point is just don't fight that guy. There's like so many, there's so many guys that you just don't have to fight, especially if you're the one that gets to decide who you fight because you have all these other advantages going for you. So anyways, get back to my original point. It was just that like, Lubin is a guy who I think his career actually went the same way it would have gone regardless of whether he did at twenty he had that fight at twenty two or he had it at twenty four or he had it at twenty six because ultimately I don't think he's durable enough to fight some of the guys he needed to fight or he got matched up with so you could have been more careful with his matchmaking but and like then the results based analysis you would say like oh you did better yeah but at the end of the day I don't think that like him getting knocked out at 22 is the reason that he has chin issues. It's like, no, no, no. Well, well, there are some guys that that's true for, but that's not Lubin. Lubin had already been had a questionable chin before that. Well, I guess that's 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 why you guys left. The one thing that I would say about that, which doesn't invalidate the point at all that you've made, but like where we may give Lubin a pass is that the guy that he wound up or that he got knocked out by, literally looks like this the best guy at 154 of this generation and that's jermel charlo like the, the you know oh, I, thought the, gonna, I thought you're gonna say sebastian Fondura. i was like hey where else is high praise but oh well i i should it, or, this is a question is jermel charlo part of the same generation as erickson lubin yes you think so lubin and charlo are yes Fondura is not no that oh sorry i i meant Fondura and charlo no no so I think the way I, the way I look at it is like when you came into contention, who mm-hmm. are the champions and who are the contenders, and then by the time you like Charlo is at the top of his career, he beat everyone that was already in the division before him and came in at the same time as him. That's essentially yeah what what that is to me. I so mean, he literally like, did that. I think no, yeah, no, no the, in like the literal sense, one fifty four is like one of the only divisions where like in the most literal sense that is what happened. Um, mm-hmm. 
and usually people use like that phrase, like cleaning out division and whatever. <clears throat> and it doesn't really happen. Do you and think we're going to get that with 168? Well, that that's also why I think it's bullshit when people say that, uh, well, Benavides lost his title. And so that's why he didn't get it. Okay. Like, yes, on the most technical terms, it was hundred percent his fault that he lost the title. And so Canelo can connect all, collect all the belts without having to fight him. Congrats. Totally true. But David Benavides has also been a champion in that division since fucking Canelo was fighting at Canelo weight. So, like, if you're going to tell me that he can go into 168 where when Benavides has been there for already five years and is going to stay there, I mean, he's he's going to spend the entire time that Canelo was at 168. Benavides was at the top of the division already. Even if he doesn't hold the title, he's still fucking ranked at the top of the division, and he's still there. So it's like you can't claim to be the best in that division or have cleaned out that division, quote-unquote, if Benavides is still sitting, standing there undefeated. And honestly, um, yeah, it's just in the end, it, Canelo and his team will get to the point where I think the longer they wait to fight Benavides, the less reason they have to fight him, basically. Um, and I see how some people could do that the other way. But like, oh, Benavides builds this pressure to fight him, then Canelo will have to fight him or whatever. But... Um, Honestly, the way I see it is like, let's say, let's say that Canelo does this bullshit where he fights Golovkin, then he really does fight Bivol for some fucking reason in May. Then, I don't know, he fights some other goofball from the UK in September because he lost again to Bivol. So he's got to get another goofball from (laughs) Matchroom to like get his confidence up or whatever. So then we're talking about like what, 2024 when he fights him and when he fights Benavidez or whatever. And Benavidez, like, let's say Benavidez beats him then. It's like, Essentially, the legacy that Canelo leaves at 168 is he was never the best guy in the division, ever. Benavidez was always better than him. He was, as he proved when they fought. And so Canelo waited Canelo waited him out, tried to wait to try to do it the easy way or whatever, and then eventually had to fight him and then loses. There's no upside to that for him. So, like, and in fact, it would be the opposite. It would be, like, taking away what he currently views as his crowning achievement in his career, which is what he's done at 168. And so, to me, it's like, why would you wait for Benavides to become a better fighter, more mature fighter, more experienced fighter, if the only end goal there, or like the only outcome there is it becomes more and more likely that he takes a large chunk out of what you view your legacy to be. It's just yeah. like, it, I would be surprised. I mean, maybe Canelo does do it, but because I don't know what the fuck him and Reynoso think about at when they're alone by themselves, they make decisions that make no sense to me. Um, but to me, I don't see that fight ever happening. No, because I, I don't, I, I don't I think see. there's ever a reason, for, even though it's, it could be Canelo's biggest pay-per-view, even like right now, I think it could be um, like, obviously we'll never have the ability to run the test to see whether this pay-per-view or this pay-per-view, if it happened on the same date, this fall, which would do better or whatever, or which would be a bigger fight. But like it, I think easily the Benavides fight could be the biggest fight out there for him right now. Uh, could be sub Floyd. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sub fucking fight in Dwayne, the rock Johnson. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I mean like, you know, I'm just pointing that out. Cause, cause some people will be like, yeah, but what about Floyd? You know, it's like, no, no, no. Obviously we're yeah. talking about the five or six options that like, get talked about, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but anyway, like, but even if it is the biggest fight for him, um, 
it doesn't seem like that's what he is making decisions based on. And so I don't, yeah, I guess long story short, I don't think the hell fight him, but, and it's not because he like, people don't take this like, Oh, he's scared of him or whatever. It's just like, I don't, he, he already got what he wanted, which is this quote unquote legacy bullshit at 168. It's like where he, Oh, I did this crazy thing that is going to be looked at as historic or whatever in his mind. So it's like, why would you put that? At? It's like, it's like, that's money in the bank. Why would you put that at risk by yeah. taking, taking a loss to somebody who's been in the division the whole time and you just happen to not have to fight? <laughs> uh, let, let's quickly touch on the undercard. Uh, well, specifically one fight, which was a Yoel Gomez versus Jorge Cota fight, a fight that looked on paper like it was going to be, uh, I don't know, like it looked like somebody was going straight to hell. And Jorge Cota came in, veteraned his way to a 10-round loss. Jorge Cota likely didn't win a single round. Likely landed nothing really significant in the fight. Um, But the question is more about Yoelvis Gomez. Like, where do you place this guy currently? Are you sold on him as a prospect? He's now 6-0. and He, Jorge, yeah, I think that was the first time he had went the distance. Um, I think it was the first time he went past the well, I think he made it either to the end of the third round or the beginning of the fourth round. So, so yeah. yeah. Were you going 10 rounds was a lot more than him. I mean, relative to expectation, I don't think anyone could say that they really were um just because he was trying so hard to get the knockout. It's like I think it's funny and like entertain wildly entertaining to see him do that, but also like there was a period there in the middle of the fight where like he realized that that wasn't being effective. But then he also was kind of maybe gassed out and he was also kind of like had never had to do anything else as a pro yet. So it was kind of like awkward to watch because Coda clearly was just fighting to survive. Um, and he did a great job. I mean, Coda. yeah, yeah no, but it, it's just it's just awkward when you see somebody fighting to survive against someone who isn't sure what they want to do. <laughs> who's like, to, who's like only fought in the professional ring for like a total of 10 minutes prior to this fight. And so then he's still in there after like 10 minutes and he's like, oh, shit, like, what do I do now? Like. Those fucking these those enormous home run fucking grand slam left hands are just like <laughs> flying over his head. Um, what do I do now? Jorge Cota the the the, the biggest punch Jorge Cota landed in the the fight was on the referee, which is uh, gonna go down as like a top ten moment of the year. But yeah, oh, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't that impressed with Yolvis Gomez. Um, I mean, I saw your tweets about it afterwards, and, and and you it seemed like you do like Gomez overall as a prospect, even with the the shortcomings he had in this fight i think overall you're a little higher on him than i am uh i i think he needs a lot of work i don't think he has any skills um mm. and he's with the right team i i just don't I, i'm not confident that this guy's going to be able to figure out what he like like you said doesn't know what he wants to do in the fight he's caught between styles it doesn't look like he really is that effective at anything other than pushing the pace and trying to knock dudes out which is not a bad thing to do but um, you know, I can't see this guy getting in there with uh, Tony Harrison and like winning rounds off of anything other than knockdowns and eventually a, a stoppage or a knockout. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he not only does he have very few fights, but all those fights only went like two rounds. So um, I don't think that this was by far his for, like longest time of like having to figure out what he was do, what he does, like what he looks like as a professional fighter yeah against uh, and so like i think 
basically like the last three rounds where he was like dabbing Coda's head off with like a very what looked like a very powerful jab. It was it looked like the best shit that he. It was almost like because he got kind of tired. Mm-hmm. It looked like where he like was almost like relaxed more. And then also I don't know like after a few rounds of him like not doing anything, he was like, oh maybe do this it's yeah. the one thing we'll throw, the, throw the jab like we practice all the time or whatever but um yeah i, I mean, mean it looked to me it looked it looked that looked a lot better to me like his the way he finished the fight and so i don't basically like he's like um a guy that you have there's i don't think there's any possible way you could have an educated take on him because we haven't seen him do enough things yeah i was that's what i was gonna say it's like you know i could see myself being a little hard here because the amount of footage we have on him is really not enough to like make up your mind definitively about who this guy is and sentence him to, you know, whoever you think he's going to be. Cause I don't know. And I, I think Ishmael Salas, we, we, we should probably give that dude the benefit of the doubt that he's going to turn Gomez into at the minimum, a title contender. Cause Salas just seems to keep getting these guys and coaching them into these situations where they're challenging for a title. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he, they just need to find a lot of guys that he can't knock out, and like let him fight. Let no, seriously, like, and let him fight like six or seven of those guys in a row, just so he can figure out who he wants to be in the ring. But I, I, I mean, do, I, I do think he still has skills. I think uh, honestly, like, it's it was more of it's more of a men- tightening up and like figuring out mentally how to manage like actual professional fights and to think his way through a fight is like more of his problem than skills. I think he actually does have more skills than he shows. He just, yeah, he just fights like a, I guess a video game. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, that, <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah, in the long term, the long run, he obviously can't do that. So like I, him and Fundura, like is probably the fight that we thought Gomez Coda was going to be. Yeah. Well, unfortunately Coda, Coda is just like slightly too long in the tooth. Like Coda of like 2000 and, 18 or 19 probably makes that a lot more interesting fight. But yeah, he's at this point, he was purely just in there to be awkward and survive. The Coda of 2021 probably makes it a fight. I mean, you saw him against Fundura, like Coda was lively in that fight. He caught Fundura a lot. So, um, so yeah, anyway, moving on over on ESPN, we had John Beck. I'm not going to say his last name because they keep saying it differently. Every time he fights, Knocked out Danny Dignam in two rounds. For me, much like the the Benavidez fight, um, I can say nice things because I enjoyed what I saw, but at the same time, I don't think I can make a real judgment on John Beck because it's like the dude he was fighting, that was awful. I mean, he, he just brave to get in the ring. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, criticize him or anything like that you know but he really had zero business being in the ring the only explanation that i can think of for how danny dignam got in the position to fight for uh an interim wbo title or a vacant interim wbo title is some corruption because that guy can't fight he really can't not at this level no i I saw someone say um how is he top five in the wbo and he's not even top five in the middleweight rankings in the country of the UK. <laughs> and I thought that was very true. Somebody somebody messaged me. Um, That's a good point. Somebody messaged me before the fight 
and said like Danny Dignam is going to get destroyed like one round and that Danny Dignam would could never win the British title. I bet second round knockout. And so that was my level of expectation. Um, Did the person the who messaged you, uh, they were UK based? Yeah, yeah. So they would have intimate knowledge. Oh, God. I, yeah. I didn't think well, of that, but man, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, um, and because he had never fought absolutely anybody and he'd only fought on his MTK shows. So, like, you have to, re- you have to not only be British, probably, or, or whatever, be acquainted with British boxing, but you also have to be like a total freak to like, have actually seen those MTK shows because like, right, 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 right. Who was watching those? But that was the extent of who, like, who he had fought. He had not eat like, yeah, like the, this person was very like a hundred percent confident <laughs> that this is it was not going to even resemble like a legitimate prize fight. Like that, it was going to be one guy laying down very soon. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, and that's ultimately like you can see it even like. It was like um, they were like walking him to the gallows when he went out to the ring. It was like <laughs> that guy did, knew that he did not belong there. He the first knockdown was like honestly just like being like off balance because he was so startled by like how aggressively fucking Jennifer was like coming at him and he's just like scared shitless. I mean, so, yeah, I, I had mean, to, that's what I was thinking. Eventually, he got sent, eventually Dick is sent to hell. So it's like if nothing else. I guess you can give him credit for like at least appearing to like legitimately take some sort of physical like damage. Um, whereas a lot of guys who know how know how outnumbered or like outgunned they are will find a soft spot to land. But I think he was honestly kind of looking for a soft spot to land and maybe just like couldn't get there fast enough. <laughs> I, I I mean, look, J- John Beck. We that guy sucks though. We'll never see Denny. Like that's the thing is like there are guys who are not great mandatories or whatever, but then like, you'll see them again. And like, there'll be opponents and shit. Danny Dignam, we will never see on us TV again. Might never see on British TV again. I don't, he might not even box professionally anymore. Like he might go decide to get like a job, like delivering newspapers or something. Cause like he does not have a future. He does not have a future. So on popping right now, <laughs> bro. It's more popping than the future. of His boxing career. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Let me tell you, dude, that guy sucks. No, no. He sucks. I- I mean, look, it's it's harsh to say because like, does Danny Dignam? Uh, no, and I I never go like this negative on people, but like that dude is he has he's not it, bro. He is not it. No, I mean like the ultimate litmus test are like, uh, you know, how, how talented do you think this guy actually is? It's like if you put him in Big Punch Arena for twenty. Straight or bro, some some Mexican guy who has a bunch of fights that are not listed on Boxer knocks that motherfucker out. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, can 100%. he? Yeah, no, 100. Can, can, can he? Can he do like uh like what did they call the thing in the in WWE like the six pack challenge? Could he do that at Big Punch Arena? He, oh, I don't he, think he could be one of the six for some of the guys that got fighting at Big Punch. That, no, but that's that's my point. Is like that that dude like he he gets eliminated in like match two, gone. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, there's, there's got to be corruption or something like that that got that guy into position to fight for that title because there was nothing in his actual real life accomplishments that er, that should have earned him that shot. And like, you think about it, like, we were out here saying stuff like this about Jason Quigley fighting against Demetrius Andrade. And like, you saw how that went. Like, Andrade, you know, 
he gets a lot of shit from people, but I think he's actually like a legitimately talented fighter. Probably doesn't give a fuck sometimes and just fights whatever. But I mean, the guy's talented, and like Quigley got destroyed. Quigley's a guy that fought other like decent fighters, so it's like you, this is not a case of Jason Quigley where it's like, yeah, I mean, he got into position and then challenged for the title, even though he was like severely underqualified for that position. It's like, nah, this this one is just uh, on another level. Yeah, so, bro, I mean, dude, if if Luke Keeler would be the betting favorite over you, like, bro, you should not be fighting for a title. Interim, vacant, fucking continental, oriental, whatever. doesn't matter what fucking belt, bro. Like, you should not be fighting for it. So, is... But anyways, is, why are we still talking about Dane Dignam? Like, that's... that's oh, I mean, I'm just curious. Like, is, Let's keep do, it moving, bro. Does the WBC, WBO, do they still got an oriental title? I think they do. Probably, bro. It's the sanctioning bodies who think they would change a name. Like, in 2022, we're still dropping the the Oriental line? From the Orient, man. (laughs) Like, fucking Yokozuna. From the Orient. Yeah, bro. Um, Why not? All right, let's see. What's next here on our list of topics to discuss? Um, I got message requests. What's that mean? On Twitter, people were trying to get into my message. Bro. Probably one of those group chats where there's 25 people and they're trying to, some bot trying to send you some fucking. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get me to buy an NFT? Yeah. Uh, no, nah, some dude asking for a stream for the Canelo fight. No, nah, Come on, bro. Dude, uh, you, didn't, you didn't check your DMs for two weeks, bro? I check my DMs, but like I the the like message the request thing is a separate thing. Yeah, right. yeah so like I, I don't look at that. Like there's just like two people that DM me like on a regular basis. Like you know. All right, bro. Well, you know, no need to brag. I'm not okay. you, okay? I, I'm not out here talking to everybody in the sport. Got friends all over the place. You know that that's just not me. Um, but yeah, John Beck. I I, I what do you where do you stand on him? Next Golovkin, like some people are kind of trying to well, just, uh, speak into existence. Like the thing is, is like that fight told didn't tell me anything. So like essentially, Correct. we're going back off of previous fights where he didn't look as impressive for the most part against other like sort of names that are not really indicative of how you're going to fare at the top level, but they're names nonetheless at least, like, recognizable names, and it'll get you some points on box record or whatever. So, I mean, no, I think he could be as high as, like, top five in the world right now at 160. Um, but there's definitely... He definitely has not had the litmus test to be able to say it definitively. Um, and it's not his fault either. I mean, like, Munguia should have been his opponent for this fight. Well, it should have been Andre if you want to be, like, technical about it. But even when Andre um, had originally agreed to go to 168, it should have been Munguia. And I think, um, I forget who was next. I think it might have been like Eubank. And they tried, Klimas uh, uh, and them um, petitioned the WBO to let them make a, try and make a fight with Eubank or something. Because I think... What a I great fight Dign- that would be. Well, I think Dignam had like just fought on one of those MTK shows. And so it was like yeah. a matter of like, where were they going to rank it? Like, were they going to bump him up or down or whatever? And like, to to their credit, to Jen Beck's team's credit, I mean, they wanted to they wanted to fight the best guys that were available in, in those rankings and shit. And it just happened to be that they got stuck with uh, this jabroni. 
So, I mean, uh, I'm excited as far as like to see him in a fight that I'm interested in. Um, but I definitely, I don't have a strong feeling on him. Um, yeah. as far as, as far as like, I'm not going to be on the hype train until I'm given some more evidence to believe it is going to be that. I, I mean, I like him. I, I think that, uh, he's probably going to wind up being at least one of the top three or four fighters in the middleweight division. He's like, I can clearly see that there's a, a tier in the middleweight division, probably the second or third tier where he's going to beat everybody. I think he's got enough skills to get like, get past these guys. You know, the one thing that I'm just not looking forward to is this inevitable, conversation that is going to grow and grow and grow that they're going to look at this knockout of Danny Dignum, a guy who did not belong in the ring with him and the myth of John Beck's power will be born. And like, I seen this dude fight deep into fights against guys that like uh, uh, Hassan and Dom who got smoked by other guys early in fights. Um, and John Beck went deep with them. So, you know what, what that tells me is that John Beck ain't that big one punch guy. And we're gonna talk about him like he is, and that's not really the case. And I and I don't even think that that's the thing we should be talking about with him because that that that's just not really the thing that makes him good. Yeah, I mean it's fair to say that he's top ranked, so they're gonna take like the lowest common denominator, and so just hyping him up as the Golov, new Golovkin or whatever is going to be their standard. <laughs> and and also that's partly partially probably why I sometimes have a harder time getting excited for some of well either some of these guys just because like i already can see how they're um i can already see how annoying it's going to be to to deal with them promotionally and 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 it wouldn't be i'll say the caveat will be like it wouldn't be annoying if i knew that he was going to get tested before it got annoying but like a gentleman back i feel yeah. like is going to be a guy who's not going to get a fight that's actually going to show how good he, whether he's the fourth or fifth best middleweight or whether he's maybe the top middleweight or whatever at that point. He's, I don't, I don't think for a, a number of reasons, there's no, nobody really with top rank that's going to match him in house. Um, that's going to be a difficult, uh, that difficult of a fight. And also like, this is what Tom Brake does. They get someone with a belt and then they just have them fight in their own little world and claim that they're, the greatest and the best and the blah 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 and that shit just gets annoying so like if that's what we have to look forward to for the next two years or whatever then like nah, well, i'm not really gonna get too excited about it i also think that middleweight is about to see a, a, an influx of guys going up to 168 which is further gonna like just put it call into question where john beck actually stands because i mean who's he really gonna fight kel brook ain't gonna come out of retirement to fight him so who's it gonna be I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same cast of characters or guys of that ilk who are the ones that like Andre and Charlo are getting shit for fighting now. They'll just be those guys. Pretty much. So let's go quick on a couple of these before we touch on Tank's fight. Um, John Pascal, you watched his return against. Uh, oh, yeah. Bro, that was the, I watched that fight more closely than I think I watched anything last week. Yeah. Um, so that was like. The the closest comparison I can and I I don't know how many of our listeners go back to the uh to um the Parker White fight with us on this podcast, but that was, <laughs> the Parker White fight was like the closest thing I could compare it to 
as far as like a fight that like I had no business losing who who was clearly like the superior fighter in every way that would count in a video game but like conspired against himself to lose um <laughs> on the scorecards and and in this case Meng is the Joseph Parker in this um comparison if you're not getting it um but yeah there was also a, the knockdown call against Meng um uh that was what provided the margin of victory so I thought that was pretty bullshit but also it was totally Meng's fault for being like out of position. And then he blocked the punch on the gloves and got and fell over because he was out of position. And so they called it a knockdown. It was like, all right, bro, like that's on you. First of all, uh, <laughs> he didn't feel yeah, sorry. He, he, totally, well, he totally dominated the early rounds. He was hurting Pascal with everything he threw. And then he seemed like he didn't know what to do at a certain point when um, Pascal didn't go away. And then he, just started throwing one punch at a time um, and kind of getting super predictable. And he also just fought extremely naively, like the way he would fight around. It would be like, dude, I know that you just, you lost that round and it's not because you really got outboxed, but it's like, if you did a little bit at the beginning of the round and then at the end of the round, Pascal is like fucking bull rushing you and like pushing you from fucking this rope to that rope to that rope. Even if he's not fucking landing anything, if you never punch back, you're clearly going to look like the guy who's losing the round. And so there was a lot of rounds where Pascal wasn't really landing anything effectively, but he was essentially bossing the fight. Um, mostly just by just the spurts of aggression that he would have. Cause you know, that's Pascal. He just does these like crazy, like wing shots, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, go for like 15 or 30 seconds at a time. And like, then Meng would like, he was do the thing where you take turns, but then he wouldn't even take his turn. Like, <laughs> Like he had no idea. Like he he had never figured out that Pascal was only fighting in these little spurts, and he never figured out. Like, I don't know. Basically, yeah, Meng fought like the stupid. And I could talk for probably thirty minutes. About how no one wants how to hear Meng it. Though. This fight. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so Pascal won on the scorecards. I thought it even with how the fight played out. I think Meng probably should have won a close decision, but I don't feel sorry for him at all because. For the same reason, I didn't feel sorry for Joseph Parker, even though he got fucking, he lost because he got a fucking headbutt knockdown. But you know, there's you a... Like a, when you fight like a dumbass, you kind of lose the the uh, privilege of complaining about it. So, anyways, the only reason that's kind of important is because Meng was the um, IBF mandatory because he had earned the number one position, and then that weird travel shit happened where he couldn't fight Better Beev because of COVID restrictions in certain countries and shit. Yeah, so that eventually, weird thing, eventually, right? <laughs> well it was a weird thing where like he was in china it was it was because china russia and u.s like the combination of those three countries which now is even more complicated than it was two years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like he couldn't he could leave china and train in the u.s but then he couldn't, he couldn't return to china if he had been to certain countries because obviously that was where the fucking covid started and so they like weren't like if you're rolling around on panama city beach like with the with the spring breakers and we're gonna let you back into china and shit so anyways um at some point he was going to get that fight um ordered by the ibf but obviously he lost now and so and adam danes that's tbd adam danes was the one who replaced them yeah um, yeah for the last ibf mandatory but um i think the ibf convention is actually like going on as right now like this yeah week. like 25 miles away from me Dude, go roll up on them, fucking Daryl Peoples, man. Be like, yo, bro, I know about you and your family. You know the pe the Peoples crime family, okay? 
Ja. <laughs> just, bro. just leave it. Just leave it at that. People got to message bro, hell, you. Hell, 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 know what you're talking about, bro. Believe me. I, I know he'll know what I'm talking about. You know. But the way you said it makes it sound like there's, you know, it's kind of vague. Uh, well, I was making a joke about the uh, like people always say the Clinton crime family or whatever. That's like the big conservative and the Clinton crime family over here is uh, doing something crazy. So, I mean, but um, what's the IBF doing? They don't take bribes anymore. No, bro, that's that's bro. You're you're missing what I'm putting down here. I'm telling you, bro. IBF never never changed hands, bro. It's, you know, like they pulled a little MTK to Probellum. That's what they did. <laughs> it's a, still the same operation, dude. It's just got a facelift. That's all. <laughs> I wasn't trying to air any dirty laundry here, but all right. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of kidding, but also I, there is some interesting stuff. If people feel like messaging me about it, um, I would like no, no, no. Uh, you, you, now you try to you try to dress it up. You, you, I think 100 percent what you said is was right the first time around. No walking this back. I'm not walking it back. I'm just saying I, I'll expound on it um, a little bit of what I'm joking about if some people want me to. Um, but this is great podcast content right now. Um, uh, uh, just advertising your DMs as like something people are welcome in. Yeah, I think that's that's good yeah. content. Yeah, to our entirely male audience, like bro, guys, just hit me up. Ask me about <laughs> ask me about corruption and sanctioning bodies. Oh yeah, oh fuck yeah, bro. That's <laughs> that's what gets me going in the morning. Fucking corrupt sanction. The funny thing is, is that there's a lot of times that I am tweeting about sanctioning bodies in the morning. So it's like, eh, is that kind of true? That's weird. Yeah, well, yeah, it is kind of your thing. I mean, there's only one person I know. Actually, no, there's one person we both know that uh follows this shit um way closer than anybody else and it's not the person you're thinking of it's uh someone uh may got a little carny in him anyway um canelo announced his next fight against gennady golovkin can i give you my theory on what is going on here uh sure go go right ahead so my theory is this i think uh it's very peculiar that we are five four months away from this fight and he got announced. I know that there was a 30-day. You got to decide if you're going to you know, run this rematch back or not with Bivol, which they did not do. So, usually... Well, but, but, but let's be clear. Like, If he wanted that fight, he could wait until the 60th day and offer it to Bivol, and Bivol would still do it. I mean, he, he got to broke more, the fucking contract. Makes and then, more money. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like, let's, not, let's not be... They, they could have... They didn't need to announce it. Let's be real. So... So, but but the the thing is, like, even if he was going to decide to rematch Golovkin, um, he could have told Bivol kick rocks, and then they would have announced that fight closer to the fight in in the normal time frame in which we usually get these announcements, which is not what happened. So the 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 question is, why did that happen? Well, to me, it seems like they are trying to erase Canelo's loss to Bivol. They're trying to put that out of memory. They're trying to uh, lay all this groundwork so that. You're so inundated with the promotion for this next fight with Golovkin and let people talk about it so much that by the time he gets into the ring with Golovkin, no one's going to remember that, one, he lost to Demetri Bivol, but two, that Demetri Bivol even exists. Because we're talking about Demetri Bivol's next fight being against a domestic British fighter in the UK, and somehow no one is saying, wait a second, you, you mean to tell me that the guy who beat Canelo which should be a huge, momentous thing in the sport of boxing, given that A, Canelo was the number one guy 
at least on my pound for pound list, but I think on most people who weren't absolute fucking hipsters would number one on their pound for pound list. But two, uh, he's the biggest star in boxing. So obviously getting a W over him should mean at least your next fight, you get to be the A side, but nah, they're about to go take Bivol over to the UK where he technically would not be the A side in that people would not be showing up to go see him, even though his name may come first. And even though he may be the one that walks to the ring with the title, it, it, you know, putting pushing this dude out of mind, out of sight, letting Canelo just take his position back in the sun and in the spotlight. I think it's very, well, at least it's very clear to me that this is a concerted effort to make you forget that Canelo just took a loss. What do you say to that? Um, yeah, everything you said makes sense to me. Um, I think that there is also um, an element to it where they want more time to promote um, because they know that nobody has seen Golovkin for like five years. And also because they know that they lost tens of millions of dollars on this last fight. And so they really need to make more money on this pay-per-view. And when they say more, they need that number to be as high as possible because they're also going to spend a shitload more money on this pay-per-view. So I think that they think they they think that everything that they do is so fucking great and innovative when or like that like they're the smartest guys in the room when I think that a lot of um that is just being like the most confident white guy in the room um cuz there is a difference. But uh and we've talked about that I mean with some of the stupid shit that they do that they have done um and then when it's failed i'm like oh who well we gave it a shot we had a weird disruptor as well but it's like no you just did something that had no evidence that it would work and no like real reason to believe it would work other than you thought it was a good idea and you think you're smart so you just like did it and so i think that this uh not saying that this was what came to mind to me so like everything you said makes sense and definitely could like you could argue as um their main motivation to me, I pictured it as like they think more time to promote equals more buys, which actually most of people who um, I've talked to and or I've heard talk about to the pay-per-view business actually say that the window of um, – where you should be spending your advertising budget and marketing budget for pay-per-view fights is very close to the fight, a lot closer to the fight than you would think to get uh, actual ma- maximum return on investment. And that time window has only gotten shorter over time. I think that that, uh, that also basically, works for a lot of fields. Yeah, yeah. I mean, movies and whatever. I mean, yeah. yeah. You take your pick as to what you think. But yeah, I mean, essentially, like that's why you don't... People see like, oh... We'll sometimes say like, "Oh, I haven't seen any promotion for this." Blah blah blah, and then like on fight week, it's like everywhere. Um, yeah, which yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes when people say that there really is no promotion, obviously, but um, a lot of times it's also that like they're not going to spend if they have this budget or whatever, they're going to spend eighty percent of it during fight week. They're not going to yeah. be like, "Oh, we have five like we have five months or four months to market, so let's spend twenty five percent of our budget." marketing this fight in june or some shit yeah because there's like a window where, of interest that it closes yeah and so i think um honestly my first thought about this was they just have the 
simplistic view that like if we announce it sooner and give us more time to promote it's going to make more money and so it's it's I, like uh i didn't know that they were going to do an obi-wan tv series until like a week ago when i started seeing the commercials i started seeing every podcast talking about it uh and like i've come to find out it's releasing the next week or in a couple of days or two days from now when I heard it on, you know, podcast like a couple of days ago. And now I'm like, I want to watch it. And it's available right there. And I think if they said, well, it's coming out in eight weeks, I probably would start to, it would become white noise to me. Like the, all the advertisements for it. And, and I might even get sick of it. And then I'm less likely to watch it at that point. But I mean, I do think that there's like a sweet spot of like, get them hungry and then hit them. Yeah. And I mean, I do, I do definitely think that like part of it is even if they're not going to fucking promote it for the next, they're going to wait until the month, like the month before to actually start spending any money marketing it. There is the value that you mentioned about like, we just need to make another Canelo headline that is about something else Which, about something about looking, no for, about looking forward. That. Well, no, no, no. But not, I don't mean about something else, just like as in something else random. I mean, like, yeah, refocus the next, like, <clears throat> what's next for Canelo isn't a question mark that involves talking about Bivol in any which way, shape, or form. It's now a sentence with the exclamation point on it or whatever, and, like, it well, only involves Golovkin. Well, the, the the conversation of, you know, Canelo, will he or won't he rematch Bivol just reinforces the narrative around him losing. And I think announcing this now just squashes that conversation and you don't really have to think about Canelo in the sense that this dude is coming off a loss or any memory you have of him looking like a jabroni in that fight, which increases the, I would say interest level of this fight. Although there are some that would argue that Canelo losing makes this fight more compelling because, uh, I don't know, you're, you're, I don't know, you're, you're crazy if you think that. This dude is still. Well, I just, I just think that the idea that like because he lost this fight, it means that he's going to look worse in his next fight is kind of weird logic. Well, um, against at a, at a more natural weight class, I, we think for a guy his size against a guy coming up in weight who's also forty years old. I mean, like it's just a, an a incredible leap of logic to think that him losing to Bivol the way he lost is somehow going to mean Golovkin is out here going to give this dude life and death or or give him the business or whatever yeah I mean it would it would require like an extreme shift in what we've seen from Canelo since he's entered his superstar stage which is like always pre very predictable performances that were like at the most high like he always comes in in the most professional way possible is always prepared and if he performs poorly or loses or whatever it's like because of things that have to do with how fights play out and whatever you know what i mean it's never like there have been plenty of fighters who were extremely high profile fighters who you weren't sure what you were going to get from over the years or who would go up and down um with their performances and stuff or who would occasionally come in unprepared or you know what i mean like there's been plenty of fighters like that over the years but it would be very strange to see Canelo come in looking worse than he did when he beat when he beat Smith and Saunders and Plant and that's th that level of performance is all he needs to beat Golovkin easily so 
Yeah. Um, and when I say easily, I guess handily, I will say maybe not like, well, it might not be literally it might not be like look easy or happen very quickly, but the sense of this guy is the superior fighter versus this guy who does not have the ability to overtake the superior fighter. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think to sum it up, that version decisively beats Golovkin this time. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So just uh, another quick thing. Um, Dizone, uh, Golden Boy and Dazone, they've uh, rekindled their relationship and made it official. Golden Boy is going to be getting more dates, bigger emphasis on their prospect show than on the what we would call a list shows, where you're going to see guys like Mungia and uh, one of your favorites for whatever reason. Per, per, personal flaw of yours one of your favorite fighters gilberto ramirez um but yeah to his charge yeah yeah i mean so yeah let's see i mean just to like give the short version of it it seems like they essentially just formalized the deal where essentially those four guys for golden boy each get dates probably two dates a year so we're looking at probably eight a-list shows as you say for golden boy a year and then yeah, that prospect series. I forget the amount of dates. They have more more than eight. Uh, it's a higher number than that, I think. But and I think it, also it puts some. Um, I think it's it, it would be even. I think it was eight. But it also said something in there about like it's a multi multi year deal. Apparently, it's a three year deal according to Dan Rayfield. It might have um, been up to X amount of dates too. Yeah, it's for, well, it said like in future years it could be upwards of like it could be twenty days. Right? They had something where like it looked like it could increase by a lot. Their number of dates for those mid-level shows could be increasing over this course of the deal um but yeah i mean it's nothing new from what they've already basically been operating under it's just apparently they made a contract for it but um yeah i mean we still don't really know the technicalities of it because i strongly suspect that like if for example mungia had gone to showtime to fight charlo that would not that would have disappeared a date that golden boy would have gotten from them for Mungia. I don't think that they would just get to keep that date and have someone else headline. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? So like tied to the actual fighters. Yeah. I, I would assume that there's something kind of more specific about, um, that like, what? like kind of like how they did that thing for like preferred opponents or whatever. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, that's what I, was I wouldn't say. be, I wouldn't be surprised if the zone has like, okay, this pool of fighters is allocated this many dates. And like, if one of those pool of fighters is not available for the headline, then like you don't get guaranteed the date. You have to approve it with us or whatever. So, um, but that's just on um, me speculating. Of course, I don't actually know that. And we haven't gotten that specific information, but yeah, I mean, it's more of the same from the zone. I think we'll see um, like today. Um, there was a report about um, the Avanesian fight for virtual Ortiz, which um, was actually the, status of that deal has not changed in the week since i talked to you about it in dms um mike coppinger just to jabroni and if he thinks something is going to happen he tweets it with enough plausible deniability to where it doesn't happen he says well see i wasn't wrong but at the same time he's like i want to be first and it's like bro um as you saw by that um whatever all right i'm not gonna make this into a coppinger thing but fuck my coppinger but anyways um yeah like the ryan garcia show Apparently, he might be fighting um, someone on the level of Javier Fortuna, if not Fortuna himself. Um, Ortiz versus Abinician. Um Zerto is probably not going to get Bivol for the reasons we stated in the last conversation. So it's kind of more of the same. Well, Mungia versus Jimmy Kelly. 
that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what we're looking at for Golden Boy right now because they're just kind of trying to survive and fill these dates. Well, like, with... the th- my thing about it is that the dates are cool, but I don't want to just see dates. Like, I would like to see something of, like, well, these... I know we'll never get, like, a money figure here, but I want to know, like, what is the money in these dates so that we can be assured that, like, the value of these cards, these dates that they're getting are going to deliver like matchups that are around Virgil Ortiz and David Avanesian, which, I, you know, I don't think that's like a terribly expensive fight, but it is enough of a, like the, the money that's involved there will de- definitely gets you that level of fight. And that's like at a minimum, if they're only getting that little amount of dates and they're saying like, you know, we were only going to give you these guys. Like I want to, I want to I, I know that they got enough money in this deal so that at least every one of these guys can get a, a pretty good fight. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are four world-class guys. So it's like, if you're taking four guys that are in the top five of their divisions, I mean, just speaking broadly, like those guys should, if, if you, you have them under contract to get some two fights a year and their guys at that level of the sport, like you said, at least one of them has to be in a, like has to, you have to allocate enough money there to at least get, yeah, I mean, at the very minimum, one of those fights be a world level fight. Like that is something that we would want to see. That would be a premium cable level uh, matchup. And I mean, obviously, like nothing is perfect, um, even on other platforms. I mean, like you see fights that people don't love, but um, at the same time, usually that's not because of a lack of money <clears throat> and or a lack of ability to pay for opponents and. It kind of seems like that might be the situation with um, Golden Boy, which would be disappointing because, yeah, we're talking about these are those years of those guys' careers. So, like, at some point, either they need to be allowed to take offers from other people or you need to have the money to be able to bring guys to you. And it seems like golden boy are in the balancing act of trying to stabilize their companies, what they got going on as a business with doing right by those fighters. And so right. it's, it's a, it's kind of a wait and see thing. Cause like uh, we said, we don't know the financials behind it, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what we've seen, what we've seen so far this year, obviously has been disappointing. So let's just say the that thing hopefully. that I was concerned about, or at least I, I am concerned about is like Golden Boy wasn't in a position of like leverage there, so I I you know there I mean I, maybe I shouldn't even give a shit, but like I'm thinking like if DAZN wanted to stick them with a deal that really wasn't good for them, they could have easily done that. And so, because what was Golden Boy going to do? Like nobody else was coming to them that we know of, and I think we would know. Uh, trying to get them to be like uh, maybe Pro Box TV, but uh, I don't think anybody else was coming out here trying to give Golden Boy a bag of money saying, come do fights for us. Because if they were going to, they would have. Because I think Golden Boy definitely would have taken a big bag if it was available, you know, well, see Triller. Yeah, I mean, they were, yeah, Triller thing was like what they were angling towards or whatever Oscar was. And obviously that was fool's gold. I mean, I think the thing about, the thing about what Golden Boy has been since they've been on zone is like, most of the fights that they've made that don't involve Canelo were that were like high level matchups or a lot of them were 
a golden boy fighter versus a matchroom fighter or a golden boy fighter versus a fighter who's loosely affiliated with like matchroom. And I don't know exactly how the financials of all that worked, but it seems like if that is not going to be like a theme going forward where DAZN as a kind of ecosystem in and of itself is helping golden boy out with being able to have a larger pool of fighters to pick from, um, to make a reasonable deal. Uh, they're not going to be able to overpay to get people to come to fight a golden boy fighter on DAZN. I don't think, um, I don't think they're in a position to do that with the financials of the situation. And so at that point, it becomes a little bit of a catch 22. Um, if, for example, like, yeah, like Zerto versus Bivol, in theory, it should be easy to make on the zone. But it seems like Matrim has taken a much more adversarial approach to Golden Boy, probably sensing weakness. I mean, for the same reason we just talked about, um, they weren't in a position of strength to negotiate with the zone. They're also not really in a, I mean, because what they did with Mungi and Charlo is not something the different position of strength. What they did was they cut off his opportunity to preserve something. Now, not even to get something in like to get a new thing. It's like to preserve the thing that they were trying to hold on to, which was finalizing this TV deals with this TV deal that gets them whatever dates or whatever. And so if that's like going to be kind of the mentality going forward and there's not like a willing partner working with them to expand the amount of fights that they can make on disown, then that's where, I mean, it, it could just be, I mean, it's bad for boxing in general, but certainly it would be unfortunate for those fighters with golden boy. But I mean, who knows though, because shit changes fast in, in boxing. So, I mean, we could be in a position in three months where Oscar is sucking up to Bob Arum again, and they're making fights with, with ESPN all the time again, like they were for that time in the pandemic too. So I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the fight this weekend. Javante Davis, Roly Romero, Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, I, I don't even know where to start with this one because, like, Roly's done a pretty good job, I think, at talking trash. And I, and I don't, you know, the level of trash talk that we've gotten, I don't know. I've seen a lot of bets on the timeline of people putting money on Roly to win this fight. Like, is that people being contrarians are is Roly's trash talk actually starting to work which seemed very unlikely given the first press conference we had pre-cancellation um but yeah have you seen this um yeah i mean i think it's more so just a product of Roly being a very large underdog so like that's kind of how like odds work it's like people are more inclined to make a bet on something that is extremely unlikely to happen, but you're getting extremely, I think, long odds. I don't know. Never, I always got the confused long odds, short odds, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, mean, I think it's more so kind of a product of that. And then even like in people's minds, I think that like if they're picking Roly, they're kind of like, mm, they're not being totally serious. Uh, or meaning that like, oh, it'd be cool or whatever. And like, eh, I can kind of see it if basically we're all like getting sucked into the promotion, just like imagining ways that Rolly could win that like are probably not real. But at the same time, um, I don't necessarily, I don't think it's like, see, the thing is, is that Rolly's trash talk, 
I think it's more just Rolly's confidence. It's not necessarily like that Rolly says anything that's actually like interesting or like that he's like some guy with like a quick wit or anything. It's just that like Rolly is 100% bought into his own gimmick and like yeah. is totally believe if if he doesn't totally believe the amount of confidence and like just the mindset that he has, he at the very least is just like totally committed to it to where like even if he sounds like an idiot, he or like gets caught or like gets dissed or something, he'll just be like, yeah, I'm going to fucking knock you out though. And it's just like, I don't, it's kind of hard to like fake that level of dilute either. Well, delusion or confidence, whatever you want to call it. And so I do think that there's an element of that where it's like, you know, the only person who really technically has to believe in Roly is Roly in order for him to win. So like, maybe he's going to walk himself into a punch and get sent to hell. Like most people have said he would since this fight was like first talked about whatever a couple years ago. So what you said actually is really interesting and it reminds me of something. Um, Look, Conor McGregor, you can evaluate his trash talk however you want, you know, but the one thing that when you, when he was going to fight Floyd, it was the same phenomenon where, like, if you understood anything about boxing, you knew that he had no chance. I mean, just none. And, but the way he spoke about the fight in public, it wasn't that the trash talk was good. He wasn't, like, people weren't laughing at him or laughing at what he was saying and then, like, therefore saying, yeah, I think he could win. It was literally like, nah, this guy believes he can win. He says he's going to knock him out. And that confidence kind of just wore off on people where you had people really actually convinced that he could not only beat Floyd, but knock him out. And to this day, you still got people out here saying like, yeah, but he barely missed an uppercut in the first round. If you'd have landed that, he would have knocked out Floyd. It was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely like a shelf life to it too. It's like part of the reason that it's still somewhat effective is like, we haven't seen i mean it's not so much even being undefeated because like being undefeated is part of it even though most people who are whatever are even talking about this fight think that roly got a lucky decision uh a couple fights back um anyways so like it's not even necessarily being undefeated it's more so just that like if we're going on the premise that like one guy is going to hurt the other guy and knock him out well, we haven't really seen evidence that Roly is going to get laid flat on the canvas. Like, it certainly may happen. And then once you see it happen, you'll be like, mm, okay, like, there's no talking. There's no way Roly's going to talk anyone into like this again. Like, well, I mean, I think just he would, it, but. Well, no, but I'm just saying, people, but at that point, then people see it as delusion. It's like, you can only, it's, it's kind of like the con artist trick where like, you just have to give people that 1% of, reason to believe it's like they can 99% know you're full of shit and this is how people get scammers on telephone the telephone or like emails and shit work it's like they get people who know in their heart of hearts that they're being scammed but there's that little there's the all you need is the one percent of your brain to 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 believe to, to, to be open to believing that this thing is true and then once you give into that once it kind of grows and that nugget in your mind grows until the point where like you can talk yourself into it. Right. But if it goes from 99% to a hundred percent, there's no way it's impossible to go back. It's like, 
toothpaste in a tube. You know what I mean? Because at that point, you can actually decide, like, no, this is just bullshit. And that's that's why I say they say like, if you're someone's, uh, if you know someone's a scammer, or you, if you suspect someone's a scammer, the number one thing to do is to like stop talking to them or like hang up or whatever. Because like people will call with like a fake warranty number or whatever, and it's like okay, like. If you if you think that's sketchy, whatever they told you to do, just go go look up yourself and like right, right. It, you can look up that customer service number or you can look up that warranty or whatever and like like do it yourself or whatever. But like the number one thing you should not do is continue having a conversation with that person because all their only goal in the entire time is just to keep that one percent alive because they know it'll eventually grow. Right, and that's essentially like the sales pitch for this fight other than people who just purely do want to see you roll to get knocked out, which is a decent amount of people too. And people who just want to see tank fuck somebody up, which is the majority of the people probably. But um, yeah. And I mean, to an extent because McGregor had so much success in getting people to believe you kind of build up like a, you build up a reservoir of bullshit, like of, of the amount of bullshit people will take or, how many times they're willing to see it get disproven before they truly believe that there's no more, no more magic in it. And like McGregor had done enough, especially with his MMA fans of like saying all this shit and being so confident and like whatever talking, like he would actually win. So it was like, once you start winning, then it's like, Oh shit. Like it, yeah, it yeah. becomes, it becomes real to people. Whereas like Roley is like, if Roley could somehow win, then he would really have something like he would have lighting in a bottle, but like, I have a feeling that it's all going to be like, oh, people will just see like, no, he's just, he's just like, oh, the other thing, the other um, potential outcome would be like rolling in his ass beat, but like not getting knocked out. Or maybe he would earn some begrudging respect if he like just got the shit beat out of him, but like didn't, didn't quit or didn't get stopped. But, I mean, it, it reminds me of, um, are you familiar with the Uruguayan flight in 1972 that crashed and in, into the, into the mountains and they survived out for like 72 days in the mountains and they had to resort to cannibalism. Is this a, is this a Showtime original series? It should be, but no, no, no bro. There's literally the fucking, which is a great <laughs> show. Is it, I love that, that show. Is it that basically like yeah, word for word, but no, well, what is this thing you're talking about? I, I, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, well, I mean, basically, there was a a flight uh, carrying a like a kind of like a college soccer team, and uh, that was carrying also some like passengers. They were going to go to some tournament, whatever, or no, it was rugby. Uh, some so they were going to go to this match in I think like Argentina or something, and they had some bad weather over the Andes. They crashed in a part into a part of the mountain that had literally nothing but rock and snow. And they survived for 72 days out there in like just like really harsh weather and all this stuff. And uh, and they survived because they ultimately ate each other. Or they, they didn't, you know, they, they ate some of the people, not all of them. The ones uh, that died first. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> they didn't start with the live people. Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know, they ate each other. I was like, I don't know, I think it was like one by one, you know, they kind of fell. Uh, anyway, so the point of me bringing that up, though, is because like uh, some of the the family, they um, the family members went to see a clairvoyant, and uh, the clairvoyant, which wasn't even the right one, they went to the wrong one. They went to the son of the clairvoyant, who had like some hit or miss shit, 
And like, but and like, everyone was like, "This doesn't like th- this ain't like this is not gonna work." And but he wound up being right about literally one thing, and so therefore they believed that this was true. But it's like literally the same thing. It's like this scam. One percent is all you need, and then you got people in a desperate situation uh, are out here like trying to believe you, and you can make a whole career out of this. And yeah. so, um, I mean, and, and that's what McGregor has done. Is I, I mean I don't know I'm I'm no UFC expert you know more than me but from watching McGregor like the dude has looked like a jabroni since he beat um the little guy the, the little guy he knocked out really quick oh um, yeah no um yeah Aldo but I, he fought um it was actually we had one more fight he had the fight against um what is his name Eddie Alvarez I think his name is I don't know uh, he was probably a jabroni Eddie Eddie something no no that was when he um. The, they had the fight um, at, at it was one of the first time it might have even been the first fight uh, MMA fight at MSG, um, and he won the belt at the next at one fifty five. But since then, no, I don't think he's won a fight. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's just a phenomenon in boxing, and Roly has done it really, really well. So, um, yeah, the undercard looks all right. Um, Arizona Lara versus Spike O'Sullivan which, you know, you could say that with, like, gritted teeth. And then there's going to be Jesus Ramos against Luke Santa Maria trying to get revenge for his uncle when Santa Maria, like, he didn't destroy Abel Ramos, but basically said, yeah, Abel Ramos, you probably aren't going to fight on TV no more after this one. And uh, the opener is Eduardo Ramirez versus, uh, what's that dude's name? Luis Melendez? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Luis Melendez, I believe, the uh, Puerto Rican. Um, yeah, no, that Santa Maria Abel Ramos fight, it was like the opposite of what you just described. Uh, um, Abel Ramos hurt him a bunch early in the fight. And then, like, man, I don't remember. Yeah, that's Santa, Maria, Santa Maria, like, hung around. And then the fight got more competitive towards the end. And then most people thought that Ramos would still get the victory. And they gave it to Santa Maria. See, the reason why I didn't pay that close attention to that fight is one, it wasn't that interesting, but two, that was supposed to be Jose Cito Lopez and Abel Ramos, which would have been uh, just a, a bloodbath, and it wound up being Luke Santa Maria, who's a, a pretty decent boxer. Um, he's able to do a lot of things, and you look at a guy like Jesus Ramos, who's still developing. He's like, what, 20 now? Um, uh, yeah, just, I think he turned 21. Like He just turned 21 in March or something. 21 now. Yeah, so... I mean, like, that is a pretty interesting fight for Jesus Ramos, who's 21, uh, coming forward. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Ramos is definitely at the point in his career where, like, I'm interested in every fight he has, um, especially the way they're matching him, where they keep giving him sort of different challenges. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Jesus Ramos is one of the brightest brightest futures in the sport. Um, and he's definitely someone that, like, as a boxing fan... Um, you should be able to get excited about about watching him because I feel like there's always something new to learn um, about him in all of his recent performances. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I mean personally, yeah, that's like probably the highlight of the undercard for me. Um, the opening fight as Eduardo, Eduardo Ramirez has been in like three or four pretty interesting fights in a row. He's shown a lot more power since he moved up to 130. Whether that's real power or just been kind of a circumstantial with opponents and everything. Um, still kind of yet to be determined, but, um, this Melendez guy, um, 
I don't actually remember watching the fight, but apparently his last fight was on um, some top-ranked show. It was like a, a little bit of a questionable uh, decision win that he got, apparently. Um, I don't remember this fight, but I remember looking it up once I saw who's the opponent. Um, oh, yeah, I remember this fight. It was... Uh, he, he won yeah. some... I think, he won, I think it was one on one of those New York cards, and it was like they gave it to the Puerto Rican, even though he probably um, didn't wait, deserve wait. it, I guess. You're talking about his last fight? I yeah, I think it was his last athletic. fight was uh you being a, a simp was on Michaela Mayer's undercard. Okay. I figured you would have remembered. Wasn't that like the same day as the Canelo plant pay per view? It was the day before. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. He was against Thomas Matisse, who's uh it, Yeah, yeah, we've we've seen him on Showbox. He's uh, a nice little boxer. No, 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 you're underselling Thomas Matisse. Thomas Matisse was somehow like the biggest heel in like uh, the the boxing community of oh, like because he got the he got the decision over that like Georgian dude or whatever. Twice, and, that, Twice. and then they, yeah. and then they brought it back to do the rematch in theory to get it right, and then it was like a close a closer fight, but he still lost. I mean, then he still got the or maybe they called he it a draw. A draw, yeah, it was a draw. Yeah, I do remember that. And like, like twenty nine people were so mad about it. I was just gonna say like one hundred and sixty people were got super upset. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I forgot about that. Um, happening on Showbox, but anyway, so, I mean, Eduardo Ramirez, hopefully that's an entertaining fight. I honestly don't, I haven't seen enough of the Puerto Rican dude to know whether the styles match up well, but I do know that Eduardo Ramirez had just gotten ordered to do, um, a final eliminator or an eliminator at the WBC at one thirty. Um, and I assume if he wins this fight, they might like order that again or whatever. I don't know what the hell the WBC is doing, but. Eduardo Ramirez is reasonably close to getting a shot at the title. So, or at, yeah, what, I guess Shakur has that title now. Um, which he's not beating Shakur, but it's at least a relatively, on some level, has some <laughs> some consequences at the upper echelon of the sport, um, to put it in context a little bit. But hopefully it's just an entertaining fight. I mean, that's what you want on the first, first fight on the card like that. Um but yeah, I mean the Lara O'Sullivan fight is just like kind of. We'll see what Lara has left. We'll see what O'Sullivan has left. Maybe it'd be interesting. Maybe it won't. I'm not in the business of predicting which Lara fights become entertaining because that is a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but at the same time, um, I mean, I'm not going to complain about seeing a Rosalinda Lara fight. I feel like he uh, he has not fought as many times as he probably should have the last couple of years and so at least getting him a fight it's cool um, uh yeah from, um, but yeah not exactly inspiring as a pay-per-view um call me an event but oh well i mean look the, i think the buzz is enough i think people are like definitely invested in tank and roly that like at by the time we're gonna i think the talking point we're gonna have the, the day after was that the only card was all right but like nobody was really paying attention because of the anticipation of the main event. The main event, I think, has actually sold itself really well. And, and, and I mean, like you know, Tank has Tank fans. These are not boxing fans that are probably for them. Not 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 all of them, but they're you know a, a, a large portion of the fans are just not going to be there to give a shit about Arizona Lara. Nor have they ever, nor will they ever. They're they're there to see Tank and Tank alone. So yeah, and I mean, I think I think that they they have like they made this card to appeal to some smaller niche 
audiences in addition to like the tank fans you know what i mean so like maybe there'll be 50 irish dudes who like are extremely fucking loud for some reason because that's what they do in new york they show up places and make noise or maybe there'll be like <laughs> this mexico puerto rico fight will have like just in the 7-eleven just, just chanting at the hot dog roller i'm just saying like they uh, they definitely went for like the okay all there's these little pockets of um, populations in new york and like maybe we'll get a few people from here a few people here that'll actually care get because like like you said i mean pretty much no matter who you put um the vast majority of those fans are gonna be there to see the tank fight and they're not gonna care so i guess i can see why like you could count you would kind of go with this like uh smorgasbord approach towards the undercard yeah, yeah. and i think there, there are plenty of fights or main event level fights where you you kind of don't really need to focus on the undercard too much i mean because you're only catering to a small portion of people who watch i mean look at the benavidez numbers look at the charlo numbers and you can see the number tick up as it got to the main event where most people were actually invested but anyway we'll wrap it up right here deuce anything you want to tell people other than message you to get the dirt on the sanctioning bodies um well they did announce that showtime is going to stream a couple of the um fights before the pay-per-view so I think uh, if you want to see Jalil Hackett, um, able the promotions, welterweight um, prospect, he's like 6-0 or something, um, his fight is going to be streamed on the Showtime YouTube. And then Luis Arias um, is fighting some journeyman type guy. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, that is like the main event of this Showtime YouTube undercard thing. So um, if you're... Uh, boxing degenerate and you haven't had the chance to see uh hack it yet i think it would probably be uh interesting or of interest to you to check that out on youtube and then i mean the RS fight would be cool too but just something to um either get you situated and ready for the pay-per-view or for you to watch some undercard boxing and then um go jerk off with the rest of your saturday night or whatever it is that you do yeah you know, no we'll no, be- no judgment We'll be here. We will be here with a post pre and post pod probably. So be on the lookout for that. If you and those will be exclusively on our Patreon. If you want to sign up for that, you don't have to. But if you want to, you know, you just, you know, you're just one of those people that loves content. Patreon.com/slash/SundayPuncher. Follow Deuce on Twitter at Ranger Rollins. You don't need to follow me because you know I I don't have a good Twitter like Deuce does. I occasionally just dabble. Um, but yeah, real rolling pin. If you want to get at me, I mean, you had some fire tweets. You know, I mean, like you got you got your own style on the Twitter, but like you had some had some what tweets is, to pop. What is my? I don't even have a, t- a style. Bro, I, I like, try to copy you, and then occasionally tell people to fuck off. It's like, <laughs> bro, you got like a little bit of the boxing drill too, though, where you're like, all of a sudden you'll be saying some weird shit that's just like funny because it has its own humor to it, or it'll be a, you know, another baboon picture or something i mean bro you never know i think you never know is the answer of what what your twitter is like and you know sometimes yeah. it's that means it sucks but sometimes it means you got some fire tweets volume shooter man but i also shoot 22 percent. i'm like Jim, i'm like russell westbrook i was gonna say you're like the entire um milwaukee bucks starting five other than Giannis. i'm not gonna say anything because that still might be a soft spot for uh you and the rest of the people of wisconsin Nah, that's all right. We, anyway, we, 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 we know how to lose here, all right, bro? Like, if there's anything, we don't know how to do this. It's that. 
All right. Well, that does it for this week. Sorry. Uh, my apologies to anybody from Wisconsin listening to this and was triggered by uh, the conversation that we just had. Um, but yeah, you like the podcast, rate and review, sign up for the Patreon, join the chat. Twitter also just did an update uh, where the like the styling is different on the website. This is kind of weird. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. We will be back in a couple days. Peace out.